and it looks like we are live. Welcome back, everybody, to episode six of This Week in Privacy Live, um, our weekly series where we cover the latest updates with what we're working on within the Privacy Guides community and this week's top stories in the data privacy and cybersecurity space. I'm your host, Jonah, and this show is published by Privacy Guides, a nonprofit with which researches and shares privacy-related information and facilitates a community on our forum and matrix channels where people can ask questions and get advice about staying private online and preserving their digital rights. Um, our first major update that I want to talk to you about today is an update for listeners of this show. We are actually hosting uh, episodes, these live streams on Castapod, which is an open source podcasting hosting platform, meaning that you can follow this RSS feed and listen to all of these shows at any time you want within your favorite podcast client. Um, thanks to Castapod's integration with Fediverse services, you can also follow this channel from any Fediverse client, such as Mastodon, for example, at thisweekinprivacy at fm.neat.tube. So if you enjoy the audio show, live streams that we do here, um, but you miss them live on YouTube or you want to follow us outside of YouTube, give us a follow there. Links to all that stuff will be in the show description. Um, moving on to privacy news from around the industry in general this week. Um, one of our biggest stories is something that Mozilla is working on. Um, one of the biggest problems that stops adoption of privacy respecting software like Mozilla Firefox is that big tech gatekeepers go out of their way to prevent alternatives from being as user-friendly and feature-complete as they could be. Um, so kind of in response to all of that, Mozilla created a new public issue tracker that they call Platform Tilt, in which they document all of the ways that Apple, Google, and Microsoft purposely put alternatives like Firefox at a disadvantage, and they call for these companies and the engineers working there to work on fixing these problems and kind of level the playing field for alternatives like Firefox to really uh, thrive on the open web. Uh, so if you're interested in all of that, anti-competition stuff from Mozilla, definitely check out that issue tracker um, and take a look at what they're talking about there. In law enforcement news, um, Wired reports that police throughout the United States believe that running faces generated by AI based on DNA evidence that was based on DNA evidence through AI facial recognition software should at least be an option available to investigators and that this practice has been performed by various agencies already. Um, so this article says that in 2017, detectives working at a cold case at the East Bay Regional Park District Police Department sent genetic information collected at the crime scene to Parabon Nanolabs, a company that says it can turn DNA into a face. The department published the predicted face in an attempt to solicit tips from the public in 2017, which was a controversial move at the time. And then in 2020, one of the detectives did something that civil liberties experts say is even more problematic and also a violation of Parabon Nanolab's terms of service. He has to have that rendering run through police facial recognition software. Um, there's a lot of problems with this kind of practice. The idea of creating a face or an image of a face from DNA in the first place is um, a process that's imprecise and unreliable and basically runs through AI programs that we really have no idea how they work or how that was trained. And then facial recognition software similarly runs on AI models, which are notoriously um, biased against certain demographics and are also imprecise. So daisy chaining those imprecise and unreliable processes together is, of course, not going to 
um, not going to reveal usable results or any kind of useful investigative tools, but they may be used to justify some more transgressions on the part of police. If you're interested in any of that stuff, this article by Wired is a super good read, so definitely go and check that out. Um, in what's probably pretty unsurprising news, researchers have found that many iPhone apps spy on you when they receive notifications, despite Apple's policies against this behavior. Um, the researchers say that if the app is closed, the iPhone operating system lets the app wake up temporarily when it receives a push notification to contact company servers, send you the notification, and perform any other necessary business. The data harvesting misc spotted happened during that brief window. So it seems obvious to people who know how push notifications work that when you receive a notification, the app wakes up even if you close the app completely or swipe it away. And when it does so, it can run some processes in the background that can detect all sorts of information about you, your network connection, and your phone to potentially fingerprint you. Um, it's While that might seem obvious to people who know how that all works, um, I think that a lot of people probably don't know that this is happening, so it's really good to again, call this out and call out that all of this behavior is very common in apps, including really big ones like Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Twitter, as well as many other major ones. So this isn't limited to just malicious apps and or actively malicious apps, I should say. But it's also something that is against Apple's policies against this behavior, but Apple is clearly not enforcing it very well at all, which is pretty typical of them. Um, in some pretty good news, uh, Amazon Ring is no longer sharing videos with police without performing a formal legal request through the court system, um, as it probably should have been doing this whole time. Um, basically, in a blog post, they say that Amazon's Ring will no longer let police and other government agencies request doorbell camera footage from within the company's Neighbors app in what privacy advocates are hailing as a long-awaited victory for civil liberties. Authorities seeking Ring surveillance videos must now submit a formal legal request to the company rather than soliciting footage directly from users through the app, Ring said in a blog post on Wednesday. Um, so this is definitely a good change. We need to put an end to this kind of warrantless surveillance programs and that kind of thing that Amazon Ring and other companies are facilitating in the U.S., and this is a good step um, but this just goes to show that all of these big tech uh, companies that are creating non-end-to-end encryption, non-end-to-end encrypted video recording, surveillance programs, that kind of thing are not good for the privacy and safety of us all overall. And so we should probably avoid Ring altogether. But for people who have Ring or for people who live in neighborhoods where Ring is very common, this is definitely good news and makes all of that surveillance and data collection by police at least more accountable in the United States. Um, in some more lighthearted news, um, 404 Media reported this week on a collection of documents obtained from the NSA, which were published on the Internet Archive, which detailed some concerns in 1998 about embedded AI in the classic Furby children's toy. Um, so. 44 Media says that the NSA's interest in and concern with the spying capabilities of the Furby, the iconic furry robot toy, has been documented over the years by various news outlets, YouTube channels, and the FAA, which banned Furby operation during takeoff and landing. But all of those previous write-ups relied on a brief story in the Washington Post from 1999 called A Toy Story of Harry Espionage, which noted that furry, 
Furby had been banned from the NSA's offices in Maryland, in part because they were worried that NSA employees would discuss classified information to the Furby, which could learn from it and would possibly repeat what it heard at a later date. So at the time in 1999, all of those documents detailing concerns from NSA employees were leaked to the Washington Post, but thanks to a freedom of information request, all of those documents are available to the public. So if you just are looking for a pretty funny read about this kind of stuff that the NSA is concerned about, um, definitely check it out. It's just an entertaining story for sure. Um, finally, in privacy news, before we move on to security topics, um, U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, um, a Democrat from Oregon, revealed documents this week confirming that the NSA purchases records from commercial data brokers in order to spy on which apps and websites Americans use. Uh, Wyden suggested that the intelligence com- that the intelligence community might be helping data brokers violate an FTC order requiring that Americans are provided clear and conspicuous disclosures and give informed consent before their data can be sold to third parties. In the seven years that Wyden has been investigating data brokers, he said that he has not been made aware of any company that provides such a warning to users before collecting their data. So this is the kind of stuff that's unethical on behalf on the part of the NSA and also probably illegal and should definitely be stopped. So this is something that has been, again, long suspected for a long time, but thanks to the U.S. Senator Ron Wyden disclosing these documents, we now have confirmation that they are purchasing this information from these commercial data brokers um, to kind of circumvent probably surveillance laws on their own because they can get these commercial companies to do it for them. Uh, Moving on to security news here, Uh, Microsoft announced that they were breached this month by SVR, the same Russian intelligence agency which broke into SolarWinds in 2020. Microsoft reports that the attackers compromised the email accounts of members of their senior leadership team and that employees in other departments, including cybersecurity and legal. It doesn't appear that the attackers had to use any new vulnerabilities or zero days. Microsoft merely didn't follow best security practices internally from what um, security experts and other people are saying about this attack. Uh, Microsoft hasn't posted too many details about how this all worked, but it's just a good example to bring up and demonstrate how even, you know, the biggest tech companies are not um, exactly the pinnacles of security and certainly privacy. And even though you would expect them to be able to follow basic security guidelines, oftentimes that isn't the case. So it's a common misconception within some of the security communities that Big tech companies are just better at this thing because they have more people working on it and that stuff. And that is clearly not the case, as we've shown time and time again. And again, Microsoft is uh, not exactly as secure as many people would claim them to be. So just an interesting attack into Microsoft there. Um, Not much else in security news this week, uh, but we'll move on to something from the community. Um, OpenWRT, which is one of our top choices for alternative and open source router firmware, is working on creating its own open reference hardware, which is pretty cool. Um, OpenWRT is 20 years old this year, and to keep the project going, lead developers have proposed creating a fully upstream supported harbor design, one that would prevent the need for handling binary blobs in in modern router hardware and let DIY router enthusiasts forge their own path. There's no expected release date for this, but it is noted that it's the first community-driven reference hardware. So just a cool update from the OpenWRT team there, um, and hopefully we 
see that come eventually because more open hardware is definitely a good thing in this day and age. Um, and our final story is that Apple announced this week that in the EU only, they're going to begin allowing alternative app marketplaces, alternative browser engines, and alternative NFC payment apps on iOS. However, the restrictive way that they're going about that means that we're not going to see Android-style sideloading or an iOS version of F-Droid anytime soon. Um, so if you're an Apple user and you're interested in that kind of thing, um, I wrote more about these changes and Apple's non-compliance with the DMA in a separate blog post, but basically, once again, Apple is proving themselves to not be um, really in the corner of anybody really focused on privacy and security, and this is just another, another example of them taking anti-user measures to kind of solidify their market control. Um, that's about it for this episode of This Week in Privacy. Thanks for tuning in to our live stream show this week. Um, we share updates uh, on our blog and on YouTube every single Saturday, so you can subscribe to the blog with your favorite RSS reader. You can subscribe to this channel on YouTube if you haven't yet. Please, I recommend doing so. And if you don't watch this on YouTube or you prefer audio, um, we now release these on RSS, as I mentioned earlier, so follow us on there, there will be a link to our RSS feed in our podcast account in the show notes for you to check out and add to your podcast client. Um, if you have any updates this week that you want to see shared in the next episode of This Week in Privacy, uh, we definitely would welcome your support and any updates that you want to share. So you can share them on our form or in a YouTube comment, and we will check it out and add it to the show next week. Uh, your help finding these stories and telling us what you want to see in future episodes would be really appreciated. Um, but that is about it. Otherwise, thank you all for tuning in. I will see you all next week. Take care.